Okay, well, let's get started. Good to see everybody. Um, uh, we are handling our sep- second topic in this series of the Christian and culture, uh, the Christian in culture, and how really they should engage in, in culture. And again, uh, last week we talked about homosexuality, a huge, weighty, very controversial topic in our day. This week we are, uh, again, just in the middle of a very emotional, very difficult, very challenging issue, uh, the issue of abortion. And then we're going to handle, we're going to get into a few sort of related issues that I think many Christians don't think about is what implications some of the things and truths that we're going to think about tonight have on how Christians should not just think about um, abortion, but then also reproductive technologies like in vitro fertilization and some of the the tricky nuances that we need to think about there. So really, um, in just a moment, I'm going to pray, and we're going to read a little bit of Scripture uh, and, and establish a case, but I want to um, not go as long as I did last time um, and have time for um, questions and discussion. Here is really my goal tonight, is to, I think that probably in this room, I would venture to say a, a good number of us probably would not disagree with the biblical position that I am going to espouse tonight. Maybe there are some of you, and if you're here, I'm, I'm really glad that you're here. I hope that we can persuade you uh, about what the Bible says about life and when it begins. Um, so I don't think that there's much disagreement there. Um, but what I really want to do is, uh, more than anything, I, I want to encourage us as Christians to uh, be very engaged in this issue. Um, I think that one of the, the blind spots, and maybe it's not even really a blind spot, it's just complete apathy of the American church is, is really how, quite, quite frankly, how comfortably silent and unengaged we are on this issue. If we look back at the history of the church, we can see blind spots in various times during the church, like we think about some of the, you know, I, I'm even convicted by this, deep, some of the great um, Puritans and English Puritans and American Puritans that I love to quote were slave owners. And that's just a, I mean, that's just a stain on the history of our nation. Um, and I think maybe a hundred years from now, when people are going to be thinking about the church in America during this time, one of the stains on the body of Christ in our time is going to be really our inactivity and the unengaged way for for, uh, for a, that a large part of the church has just been unengaged in this issue. Um, so I want to encourage us to be engaged um, and maybe help equip us with some arguments. Um, and then I, I know that um, there are certainly people in this room, women, that have had abortions or men that have participated in them in some way that, that you need to feel God's grace and be encouraged. And so I don't want you to be sweating through this. I want you to be loved and encouraged. And um, with that, let me, let me pray and let's, uh, let's get into it. Well, Father, we, um, we come again to a, a huge monumental issue, uh, really that gets to the very core of, of your authority, which is inexhaustive, which is complete, and who we are as human beings. I pray tonight that you would, uh, as we read some scripture and as we think about some things in, in uh, our culture and the ways that our culture is opposed to you, I pray, God, that you would give us grace, that you would encourage us, that you would uh, make us uh, r- really put our hands to the plow on this issue as Christians, as a church, 
and that you would help us to push against a, a broken culture so that we would be greater, a greater display of your, of your goodness to an onlooking world. And Lord, we pray that you would help us, that we would become more like Christ as a result of our time together. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I want to, um, well, first of all, I don't have a book to give away. I'm sorry, uh, but I do want to point you to a really helpful resource. It isn't just about the issue we're talking about tonight of abortion, but is uh, really about how Christians should engage in culture. It's a book by David Platt, a uh, very highly respected young pastor. Now he's the head of the Southern Baptist uh, Convention's International Mission Board. He wrote a book called A Compassionate Call to uh, Counterculture in a World of Poverty, Same-Sex Marriage, Racism, Sex Slavery, Immigration, Persecution, Abortion, Orphans, and Pornography. This is a wonderful, short, very quick read about how Christians, it's a very convicting read, but how Christians should be thinking about living in culture. And some of the things that I'm going to talk about tonight come from that book about how we should engage. So here's this fundamental question we need to think about. First is, what does the Bible say about life and personhood? Really, the core question is, what is in the womb when a woman is pregnant? Is that a person? Or is it a clump of tissue or cells, something that will eventually become a human? Um, is it a fetus? Is it an embryo? What, what is in the womb? I think clearly the biblical position that Christians, I think, biblically must have is that at the moment of conception, at the moment of conception, what is inside of a woman is a very, 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 very young human being. And so, um, even tonight I may slip and accidentally, you know, refer to it even when we do culture, a fertilized egg or a fetus. Those are maybe scientific terms, but sometimes those terms can sort of dumb us down to what is inside of a woman. It is a very, 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 very young human being. When a, when a, a, a male sperm fertilizes a woman's egg at that moment of conception, I mean, it's, it's just unbelievable the things that are set right then at that moment of conception. Gender, DNA, that, that is a human being, not fully formed, but, but a very, 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 very young human being. So let's look at a few scriptures. We'll work through these quickly just to give us some, some, a, a taste of where um, we can go to in the Bible to, to I think, clearly indicate this. Psalm 139, probably the most well-known passage. And when we think about this idea of what is in the womb is a person. So King David writes, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. So I want you to think about, just use your imagination as I read these next few lines here, is that, that, um, that what's going on is God is being written about by David under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as being personally at work in the womb. That's, this is God's action. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my... Notice the personalized... Um, uh, what is that, pronoun? Oh, my mother would, would cringe right now if she knew that I messed up. on. You, your eyes saw my personhood 
unformed substance. So even though this baby in the womb is developmentally not a full human being, personhood is still being attached to that baby in the womb. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. So I think even just that text alone itself is clear biblical evidence for anybody that's just wondering. Now, granted, uh, we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but the world and culture and unregenerate minds, people that don't know Christ, that are still dead in their sins and unable to even uh, respond to God's law, are not going to acknowledge scriptural authority as an authority on when life begins, but Christians at least need to know this, and we need to have confidence in this, because as we spoke about last week, God delights in taking His powerful Word, and it being the thing that hits a dead heart, and it being the thing that makes it alive. So don't be intimidated that a culture does not believe God's Word. There was a time when you didn't believe God's Word, and God caused you to go from darkness to light, from death to life so that you could see and hear and believe in Jesus and his word, right? So God uses his word uh, to bring about life. Jeremiah 1.5 is the, a really important text about the prophet Jeremiah where God is speaking at the beginning of this book and listen to what God's perspective was on Jeremiah. He says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. So actually, Really, you could make sort of this theological case that life begins in eternity past in the mind and will of God. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you and I appointed you a prophet to the nations. We see very similar language in Galatians 1 verse 15 where the Apostle Paul is talking about his calling into ministry. And he says that, that he had been set apart before I was born by him who called me by grace. So Paul is acknowledging that he was known by God even before he was in the womb, before he was born. And then we see uh, about John the Baptist leaping in the womb as his mother Elizabeth uh, goes and speaks to Jesus' mother Mary. So in Luke 1, verse 39 through 44, in those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to, the town, to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby, that ends up being John the Baptist, that is John the Baptist, leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your, your womb. And why, is, and why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. So these, I think these scriptures are clear to us. They really uh, settle the issue for Christians that uh, what is in the womb is not a fetus, not merely a fertilized egg, not a, merely an embryo, although those may be correct scientific terms, that theologically and biblically what is in the womb at the moment of conception, which is when the sperm hits the egg, is uh, a human being. The next thing there that I think we want to think about uh, when we're thinking about this idea of personhood is cultural, uh, culture's irrational logic and objection. Because here's the deal is, uh, why I think that's so important is, is that if you can get people to 
admit that it is a human being that I think gives them great pause to do any harm to that human being. And that's where you're starting to see, um, if you've watched any of these Planned Parenthood videos, you're starting to see them just kind of stumble over each other because they're calling it baby parts, even in these videos where these Catholic pro-life people have gone undercover. Have you seen these videos? Do you know what I'm talking about? Where they're going undercover to uh, negotiate the purchase of aborted parts and organs of babies. Um, and the whole, the whole kind of scientific stance of a lot of the community that is pro-abortion would say that that's not a baby until it gets to a certain point. But even these people that would use that arg- line of argumentation, which is completely false, are even calling it uh, a, the baby parts there. And so um, culture just is sort of twisted in its logic and, and um, certainly would have a few objections. So let me just kind of throw out there just a few just things that are just ridiculous in our culture that might arm you with, uh, with, with, uh, some, uh, with, with some points when you maybe you're engaging a, a friend on this issue to just see sort of the idiocy of our culture. A couple days ago, I watched a sermon by uh, Matt Chandler, who's a pastor in Texas, who I, I love to listen to, have a lot of respect for, and he preached a sermon a few years ago on this issue, the sanctity of life, and he was talking about the laws in our country regarding the protection of uh, bald and golden eagles, okay? Which, let me just say, I'm all for, okay? I, I, I love me some bald eagles and golden eagles, okay? Before you, you know, blow up the internet. But listen to how serious we are about protecting bald eagle eggs compared to human beings in the womb. Do you know that if you're hiking with your... In fact, we have eagles here. I've seen one above my house. There's one that lives, like, or a couple, like one, I don't know. I mean, there's some that live over, over like, what's that thing over there? The Chattahoochee River, I guess. Okay, I've seen a bald eagle over my house, flying, right? Am I just making stuff up? Am I seeing stuff? Your Scotty's making me feel like maybe I'm not crazy. Okay, good. So if I happen to be hiking in Pine Mountain, and I came across a bald eagle's nest... And I said, hey, Joe and Jake, my two boys, hey, go go get a picture with the bald eagle egg and we'll send it to mom. Here's what could happen to us. According to the Bald Bald and Golden Eagle Protection Act, it prohibits anyone from taking, possessing, or transporting a bald eagle or a golden eagle or parts, nests, or eggs of such birds without prior authorization. This includes inactive nests, as well as active nets. Take means to pursue, shoot, shoot at, poison, wound, kill, capture, trap, destroy, molest, or disturb the eggs. Now, for the record, I'm all for that. That's a good rule. Don't mess with eagle eggs, you knucklehead college kid, when you're hiking. Don't do it. But listen to what the punishment is if you, if you do mess with eagle eggs, you can be put in prison for up to a year or fined $20,000 for taking a selfie with a bald eagle egg. But if you suck the baby out of a womb at 20 weeks, you can do that. Friends, that's just irrational idiocy, right? 
we have other, um, just I think, just things that we need to think about that are just absolute shine the light on the idiocy of our culture. My wife is a pediatrician, and she has patients in her practice that are born at like 23, 24 weeks. In fact, we're, Will Hawk, Will Hawk, your friend Brandon Jones, his wife, when they 26 weeks. Yeah, 25 weeks. I know Jennifer's told me she's had patients that have been delivered and survived as young as like 24 weeks. Now think about the, think about the lunacy of this, okay? If, um, if a mother has a baby at 24 weeks and she has that child and the child goes to the NICU and the mother goes to the NICU neonatal intensive care unit to care for that child. If a nurse or a doctor came into that room and put their arms around that little baby's neck and strangled that baby, that would be murder. Clearly. If that baby's laying on its mother's chest at 24 weeks, a day old out of the womb, alive, if a doctor walked into that room and harmed that baby, that would be murder. But if in another room, in another hospital, that baby wasn't, it was at 24 weeks, was outside of the mother's, wasn't outside of the mother's body, it was inside the mother's body, just 12 inches lower, that doctor could lawfully suck that child out. And that's okay. It's, it's, it's just lunacy. If a young woman was on her way to go get an abortion, if she was on her way to Rosemont Drive in Columbus, Georgia, and she is driving down Woodruff Road, and somebody comes barreling down Manchester Expressway, and is a drunk driver, and slams into that woman, and the unborn baby is killed or miscarried because of the drunk driver hitting her in the car a block before she got to Rosemont Drive. That drunk driver can be charged for the death of that child. But if he swerves and misses her by five feet, and she continues on and takes a left on Rosemont Drive and gets out of that car and then walks into a a, a little building there called Women's Health Center, somebody can suck that baby out of her womb and it's legal. I mean, it's, 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 at best, it's just inconsistent philosophically. At, at worst, it's just insane idiocy. And that's the culture that we live in. Another objection that our culture may have is, well, what about a, I mean, come on, a woman's, it's, it's a woman's body. You know, this is the, um, this is the, uh, this is the stance of, of many uh, presidential candidates, the stance of many Democratic presidents, the stance of Joe Biden, our Catholic vice president, our supposedly devout Catholic vice president, who says, well, I would never, I would never do that personally, but it's a woman's right to choose because it's her body, and it's not really our right to 
to impose laws on, you know, what a woman can do with her body. Well, actually, our government all the time imposes laws on what a woman can do with her body, right? Just, just today, we got some young people in here, but, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a bad world out there, so I'm just going to tell you, I was just, I was just, about 45 minutes ago, I checked my phone, and I looked at the Ledger Inquirer, and these two people uh, got in an argument and are now in prison awaiting um, a, a date with the recorder's court judge tomorrow because they argued over an exchange that they had that went bad over this woman agreeing to have sex with this guy for $60, which then, you know, he didn't pay. Well, if, you, if a woman can do whatever she wants with her body, why is prostitution illegal, Right? And of course, the, the government is saying you can't do that with your body. So let's just try this to see what the government says. Let's all of us, it was just when we get in our car, let's just get naked and drive around town with our windows down, just honking our horn, right? And let's just kind of see how that goes. Actually, let's not do that, right? That'd be horrible, and I think it'd be really bad for the health of this church. In fact, I think that'd probably be the end of the health of this church. But the government would stop us and rightfully stop us from doing that with our body. The government all the time tells us what we can and can't do with our body. The government tells us that we got to ride our bicycles down the street with helmets on. Friends, you see just the idiocy of, um, of, of the logic of our culture. Um, a couple implications. A couple implications. Before we're just going to look briefly at how Christians should engage, and then um, some questions. We need to use this word, and I want to say this especially gently to those of you in this room that um, have had abortions. Um, abortion is murder. Abortion is murder. Now, if you have participated in an abortion, you've had an abortion, I want you to know that God delights in redeeming all manner of sinners, including those who take the life of others. Let me take you to Moses in the Old Testament. Moses was this great leader of God's people in the Old Testament. He choked a guy out to death, right? What about, um, what about David in the Old Testament? A man that the Bible says is after God's own heart, slept with one of his best friend's wife, covered that up with intentionally putting him in a position to die. That's murder. And he is a man that God calls a man after his own heart. Saul of Tarsus, who then becomes Paul, the great missionary of the New Testament church, the, the one who took the gospel to the Roman Empire, is at the, uh, at the beginning of the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 7, consenting to the death of Stephen. He is there collecting people's coats. He is a murderer. He's breathing murderous threats to Christians, it says in the book of Acts. God delights in redeeming murderers. God is gracious. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Friends, abortion is the taking of human life. It's the taking of human life. 
Now, related to this, it, if, if life... If life begins at conception, I want you to kind of think carefully with me here. If life begins at conception, begins when the egg, or when the sperm fertilizes the egg, that's conception. If that is the case, then that needs to give Christians some pause when they think about some of the advancements in reproductive technology, specifically in vitro fertilization. Now, I am certainly not a physician, and I don't know um, very much about this procedure, but as I understand it, and I'm happy to be corrected if we can do that when we get to the question and answers and discussion portion, but in vitro fertilization, or IVF, is a process um, whereby a woman's eggs are, um, are, are harvested. In fact, let me just, just read it here. Um, the in vitro fertilization process varies depending on a patient's needs and approach. Generally... An IVF cycle starts when a woman taking daily hormone injections for a week or two before her monthly ovulation. The injections stimulate the follicles in her ovaries so, so that she will create multiple eggs in that cycle instead of the usual one. During that time, she must visit the doctor regularly for monitoring. When the eggs are ready, the doctor will give the woman a shot that triggers ovulation the next day, the woman goes under anesthesia, and the doctor surgically removes the eggs, so is taking the eggs out of a woman's body. Then the, the uh, doctor will mix the eggs with fresh sperm from the father, and the fertilized eggs, hoping that there will be fertilization, will develop in a dish for the next several days. After a few days, the ones that survive and develop will either be placed in the women's uterus, what doctors call an embryo transfer, or be frozen. Then the couple will wait two weeks to do a, a pregnancy test. So what's happening is, is that I'm in situations where maybe a couple is struggling with infertility. The eggs are harvested out of a woman, and the, the meeting, you know, the, the meeting of the sperm and the egg happens outside of the woman, and that happens in a, in a, you know, a laboratory. And then the fertilized eggs are then um, either put back in the woman hoping then that those fertilized eggs will implant on the woman's uterine wall um, or not. Um, and, and then sometimes fertilized eggs are frozen for a future um, attempt at um, implantation. The problems with, the, uh, with IVF can be uh, very significant. Um, first of all is that oftentimes... Um, IV, when, they, when, when a doctor is fertilizing eggs outside of a woman, they will do a, a process what's called, it's basically called selection, where they're taking just kind of the strongest of the, of the fertilized eggs or very, very, very young humans that have the best chance because it's a very expensive process. And so they're taking just the, the ones that have the best chance of making it and then putting them into a, a, back into the woman for implantation. And then the other problem is, is that the more eggs, you, you know, it's very expensive to do this, and so you kind of try and do as many as you can in one shot, and sometimes that's too much to implant in a woman's body, and so the rest of these fertilized eggs, which remember are just a very, very, very young human, are then frozen in these uh, fertilized egg banks to be at a later date, whenever the company, and then they're like, they're rented out. It's almost like a, like a, like a storage 
place, basically. And to be, if the couple decides to come back and try to have more children, if that one implantation attempt was unsuccessful, or, you know, maybe they, it was successful, and, you know, two or three years later, they want another child. Um, I think Christians need to be very, very cautious with this, with this, um, with this technology. I think that it's not something you should just sort of haphazardly go into. First of all, I think it costs a lot. Um, and second of all, I want to be very sensitive here because I know that I know many couples struggle with infertility and the desire to have your own child is a good and noble one. Um, and I am not saying that I think that um, there is not a place for, there's never a place for in vitro fertilization. But I think that there are uh, several issues within IVF that are just, um, I think, things that Christians should not do. One is that they should never allow the doctor to selectively harvest or selectively reduce the number of eggs that just kind of pick out the strong ones, right? Because remember, our definition of life is that a fertilized egg is a human being. So to have a group of fertilized eggs in a dish and for the doctor to be looking at these very, 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 very young humans and say, ah, oh, the, these three or four look like they're the strongest and these two or three look like they're not going to make it. At that point, friends, that doctor is making a determination that is not his or hers to make. Right? If we're consistent, right? A fertilized egg is a very, very young human being. And then, I think, so I don't think, if a Christian is going to do in vitro fertilization, and I think you should do that after much counsel with, with, with Christian community around you, I think that this selective process is, is just not tenable. And secondly, I think the freezing of fertilized eggs is, I think, friends, I think that's just, not an option for a Christian. Again, remember this fertilized egg is a very, very young human. I mean, I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't freeze a human being. You know? And I don't, I don't think, we have to think about it just biblically that these are children. Now, I realize that maybe some people in this room may have um, some of your children that are fertilized eggs in maybe these egg banks. In fact, that's what they're called, egg banks. And I would say to you, I would, I would encourage you to, um, to, to attempt to bear all of those children. I would, attempt you, I would encourage you not to abandon those children um, and to, to do whatever it takes to care for those children those very, 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 very young humans as image bearers of God. Very, very difficult um, situation. I am not outright saying that Christians should never be involved in IVF. I'm saying that if Christians do do IVF, I think there needs to be very strict parameters within which they engage that technology. And you have to realize that your average OBGYN or fertility doctor out there is not going to be thinking along these lines. And if you engage in this technology, you need to be very proactive 
in asking your doctor these questions. And so, certainly more on that later if you have any questions, and I am by no means a medical expert, but have read quite a bit from just some, um, some Christian uh, publications about this issue. So a couple thoughts about how Christians should engage the culture on this issue of abortion, getting back to that topic of abortion, that issue of abortion, and then open it up for questions. I'm getting these three points from uh, David Platt's book, uh, A Compassionate Call to Counterculture, from, from uh, just really kind of copying this from a page in his book. He says there's three ways that we should engage the culture. We should pray. First, we should pray for God to forgive us for whatever part that we may have played. Whether you've had an abortion, certainly know that there's grace and redemption. If you've maybe been keeping that secret and it's just been eating away at your soul, there are women in this church who have had abortions who are in a wonderfully healthy place with the Lord that would absolutely be more than willing to care for and serve you if you are in that situation where this is something you've participated in and you just don't, you feel like it's just an 800-pound gorilla that's on your back and you need somebody to talk to. I can, in my mind right now, think of about four or five women that would just be more than willing to come and care for you. They've been through that in the past and they would love to pour out their heart to encourage you. So pray for whatever role you may have. If you were maybe a man that participated in you need to, you need to repent of that and own that. If you are maybe a Christian like me who has been relatively sort of kind of casual, not as engaged in this issue as you need to have been, we collectively need to repent of that, right? And we need to pray and ask God to end this injustice. Like, like why do we have to twist arms to get Protestant Christians to go take action? Why at Rosemont Drive in Columbus is 95% of the people that gather out there to pray from the local Catholic churches? Because Protestants have wonderful theology but horrible compassion. This issue should not be relegated to a bunch of nuns who have wonderful compassion but horrible theology. The people who really understand the Bible and all of its implications and, and what it means to, that this is a gospel issue and that people are lost and that they need to be there. Just the other week we were, Bill and Melissa Harrison were there on a Friday night and we were basically getting witnessed to by a couple Catholic sisters from Peru. They were trying to teach us how to pray the rosary. Oh, why don't you guys? I'm like, my goodness, what's going on here? I mean, I was glad to be with them there at the thing, and I'm glad I'm, I'm much, I would much, I'd be much more willing to stand with somebody with poor theology but some steel in their spine than somebody who's got great theology but doesn't care. So we need to, like, we need to, like, be involved in this in some way. We need to pray. We need to be, be engaged in this. We need to participate. We need to blow up our congressman's phones. We, our, I, we, I think a lot of us in this room have a real good congressman, Congressman Westmoreland. He's excellent. He's leading the charge to try and beat this back in Washington. We need to work with ministries that are doing work to rescue the unborn, whether that's 40 Days of Life that um, do this prayer campaign, whether it's Lincoln 
Brandenburg, a member of this church who, uh, who works for the Center for Bioethical Reform. If you want to get linked up with Lincoln, Lincoln and his group goes around to college campuses where the battle for the mind is just, just on the, you know, the front lines. And they put up these pictures of, of, of uh, aborted children. And they're graphic and they're horrible to look at. And it's very hard work. And I've been with Lincoln at Columbus State where Christians come up to him and say, oh, you shouldn't be doing this. This is too much. This is too graphic. But do you know that one of the ways that William Wilberforce in, uh, in, in the 1800s is he, that he really began to win the tide to stop slavery in the abolitionist movement is they began to show pictures and drawings of how they crammed Africans in these slave trade ships. And when, when European whites and when American whites began to see the inhumanity, when they began to picture with the eyes, their eyes, the inhumanity of what the slave traders were doing to these people, it started to awaken the conscience. When in the civil rights movement, when they started to show pictures of, of federal troops spraying down African Americans in the deep south with, with like fire hoses... It began to awaken the American conscience. And so if William Wilberforce can show pictures or drawings of slave ships and Martin Luther King can show pictures, and those are, I'm, I'm endorsing, those were good tactics. How much more should we show pictures of babies being murdered? But it's just, man, that's hard. You know, God, I don't want to do that. Maybe, maybe there are Christians in this room that should be involved in that type of ministry. Lincoln Brandenburg, a member of this church, was just sitting in here one Sunday morning and just heard about, we talked about a prayer rally at the government center about five years ago. It just sparked his entrance, interest. He went down to it, and the Lord lit a flame in his heart for the unborn. And now he's giving the rest of his life, or the, at least this particular time in his life, to this issue. Maybe that might be somebody in this room. Uh, Maybe we need to volunteer at a crisis pregnancy center. I know there are many men and many women in this church who do that, who work at Sound Choices. And you may be thinking, what can I do? I'm just a big, burly guy. Well, we have a big, burly guy in this church who works security there. He just stands outside the thing and just a a couple nights a month, and he just works security at Sound Choices Pregnancy Center to help women feel safe as they come into that place. And maybe there's somebody in this room who's got some cash, like some cold, hard cash. And you could buy, instead of buying a boat or another set of ridiculously stupid toys, you could buy another ultrasound uh, machine for sound choices. Or maybe there's Christians in this church who, I don't know, I don't know if there's anybody that's got this kind of money in this room right now, but I know that maybe there's some Christians that might listen to this podcast or something, that instead of buying another stupid little trinket which will rust and destroy and, and, and deteriorate, they can buy, they could spend $100,000 and buy one of those mobile um, ultrasound units where they could drive around and actually drive up to these pregnancy centers and offer a woman, uh, um, uh, or they drive around, drive up to an abortion center and they can offer a woman an ultrasound right before she walks into the abortion center. Maybe somebody at Crosspoint could drop some coin on that instead of a stupid little whatever. We need to participate in some way, and we need to proclaim. Listen to what the, uh, what the Scriptures say in Proverbs, and then we'll open it up to questions. Proverbs chapter 10. This is all of us in here. Proverbs 10. 
Proverbs 24, I'm sorry. Proverbs 24, verse 10. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the hearts perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? So let's be more than Christians who have a political stance and just merely vote for pro-life candidates. Let's be Christians who are passionate about this. May it not be said of us a hundred years from now, man, what was with the American church? Fifty-five million babies have been killed since 1973 in America. Hitler killed 30 million Jews. Stalin, Stalin killed 50, or Stalin killed about 40 million of his own people. America has killed 55 million babies since 1973. May it not be said of us in 100 years, like we can look back now on the American Puritans and say, man, those guys had great theology, but how in the world did they own slaves? What in the world? How could they treat image bearers of God, their brothers and sisters, their African brothers and sisters that way? May it not be said of the American church 100 years from now, Boy, they had these wonderful churches, and it was so awesome. They had all these cool websites, a bunch of hip guys with stonewashed jeans and soul patches, and they could really play the guitar, and it was awesome, man. It was awesome. And they had a bunch of pastors who could relate, right? I mean, what? I mean, that makes me want to, that makes me want to cuss. Like, what we think is ministry, it's just... It's just carnal idolatry. May not be said that that's what defined us as a church, but may it be that we're passionate about this and a whole host of other issues that we'll get into, but we're passionate about very, 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 very young humans, image bearers of God. All right, questions, comments, discussion. I know this is a weighty topic. Carmen Albertson. Sean. This is just a statement. I've worked in NICUs before. And um, with the IVF, not only do they do reductive, it's called selective reduction. Selective reduction. In the bowl but they'll do it after the babies are implanted. Yeah. yeah. So you've got to you know, go through your pregnancy and find out how many of them are viable, and yeah. then the doctor gives you the choice to reduce. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Carmen. Anybody else? Ian, up here, right up here, Will. Thanks. 
Uh, again, just a comment as regards to the IVF. It's, and it's Ian is a physician, by the way, to give you a little background. Not, a, not an OBGYN. Not an OBGYN. Ear, nose, and throat. Ear, nose, and throat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and so. Uh, That's right. You know, the funny thing is, Jimmy Brooks is a is a, a, a eye doctor in our church, and we get together every Tuesday morning for prayer. And anytime a medical question comes up, we always look at Jimmy and like, you know, it's like, like OBGYN questions. You're a doctor. You should know everything. Sure, so please sure. enlighten us. Yeah. <laughs> Well, this doesn't even come from anything I learned as <laughs> yeah. a doctor, but uh, it's worth knowing that the IVF, as, as regards to IVF, the, um, the banked fertilized eggs, uh, mm -hmm. there are programs to make those available for adoption as well. Yes. Uh, and we've had some close friends that, that did that, and it, it, you know, it's just an awesome option for folks that want to go through, kind of go through pregnancy and kind of have that part of it as well, and also to rescue those children that are, yeah. are in that situation. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for mentioning that, Ian. I think, isn't that like there's ministry called Snowflake? Is, I think is what sometimes they've, I've heard that referred to as Snowflake I've ministry. I've heard that term. I, I'm yeah. not sure. The, the, so rescuing those babies that are just kind of abandoned in those banks. Yeah, amen. Amen. So again, that may be, I mean, who knows? I, you just never know what the Lord may be doing in somebody's heart. Like, so if you, if that just pricked your heart, like, not that Ian and Libby are the experts on that, but just maybe you can link that person up with the friend, the friend that you're, you know, that, yeah. Yeah, amen. Anybody else? Yes, Sharon, down front here, Will. Um, I asked this question tonight at dinner, but do you know anything about Seneca, that yeah. organization? I do. Um, I met a woman... Uh, a couple of weeks ago, and she was telling me that they have put earnest money down for the building that's right next to the yeah. abortion clinic, and they're trying to raise $225,000 to complete the buying of the building. Yes. So. Yeah. In fact, Bill and Melissa Harrison, when we were out there getting witnessed to by these Catholic ladies, <laughs> and that was a wonderful experience, wasn't it? Um, the, uh, the, a lady from Seneca was there. Seneca is, uh, is a Catholic organization a Catholic pro-life -right organization um, that is attempting to buy the building right next to the abortion clinic that used to be that, um, Bill, what is it, an engineering place for that Moon Meeks or whatever? So, yeah. So, I, I, I don't know if it's that, but yeah. So, yeah, that'd be, I, I, that, that's a per I'm glad you brought that up, Sharon. That, like, so, there's a perfect example of where, like, I, I want to see Seneca do wonderful work, right? And... Um, praise God for them, and I hope they get that building, and I hope that they are a constant agitating presence there. But I'm chastened by the fact that it seems like uh, these Catholic pro-life groups, and this is not a bash Catholic uh, sentiment at all, but for a variety of reasons, I think Catholics are not necessarily going to come at this from a holistic sort of gospel-centered perspective like I think we are equipped to do, but th generally they lead the way in a lot of cities in this issue, and that's chastening to me. Like we should be more, more involved there, but yes, Seneca is a Catholic pro-life organization that is trying to buy, and I hope they do. I hope they do. Um, my other uh, question was, um, do you know much about the October 20th plan? I think it's on college campuses to to stand with the unborn and to, it's called silent. Mm -mm. 
And no, I haven't heard of it. You, you, they encourage you to either wear a pro-life T-shirt that day to kind of generate conversations with uh -huh. people on campus, uh -huh. or actually, you know, stand with the unborn and say, you know, we've been silenced mm -hmm. and you don't speak that day. I don't, I don't know mm. a lot of details about it, but that yeah. might be an opportunity for people yeah. to look into. Amen. I'll look into that and maybe we can get word out before, yeah, yeah before them. Thank you, Sharon. That's good. See, those just little, don't underestimate. And I, I tell you, I'm, again, I'm really glad that you brought that up because I was thinking, Sharon, I think that we may be at a pivotal time in our culture where these planned parenthood videos these undercover videos where this Catholic organization has filmed these people that work for Planned Parenthood that have been negotiating. I mean, it's just, it's just horrific to listen to and watch, but they've been negotiating the sale of aborted baby body parts for medical research. That, I think, has sort of shocked the conscience of a lot of just indifferent people in our nation. And I think if we the more Christians, so don't underestimate just sharing that video on Facebook or talking about it. I think that there's a chance. I mean, even people that are very high up in the Planned Parenthood organization are nervous about them. I read this interview the other day where one of the leaders of the organization said that they were nervous about the possibility of not only Planned Parenthood being defunded, but she thought that there was a possibility that, that abortion could be outlawed in her lifetime. And let me just say also, man, a, a corollary with this issue is Christians that need to be involved in foster care, adoption. I mean, come on, how wicked is it of us as Christians to have a passionate, not only political, but theological stance, and then to say to a young mother who is in a dire situation, to say, oh, well, you shouldn't get an abortion, and then just for us to just kind of walk off. That is, that's, that's evil. That's wicked, Right? And so, I mean, there's a whole host of other issues that surround this issue that the church needs to care deeply about. Adoption, foster care, caring for unwed mothers, all sorts of stuff. Um, and let's not underestimate our voice, even in a very individual sort of, it feels kind of weak way of how it might tip the conscience of a culture around us. Good, good point, Sharon. Somebody had their hand up. Can't see that far back. Who is that? Uh, Sarah. Sarah. Hey, hey Sarah. Um. In light of that, like, especially the fact that at an abortion clinic, you're dealing with women who are coming up who are in very dire circumstances in many cases. Like, what does compassion look like there at the clinic um, yeah. in that state? Well, when we were there the other night, I, I was, again, just chastened and really encouraged by this Catholic lady who, when a car would pull up, and I'm really glad you mentioned that, Sarah, because, uh, you know, we do, I think, have this perception that most of the women that go to these abortion clinics are um, in dire situation, maybe financially, and that is certainly the case. But you'd actually be really surprised at how many abortions are not because of financial reasons. It's shame, um, a whole host of convenience, whatever. And I think, I heard this point the other day, that we live in a, we live in a throwaway culture, right? We live in a throwaway culture. I mean, if you're... Like if your shirt, we don't, we, don't sh we don't sew stuff. Like you get a little tear in your shirt now, you snag it on a nail, you throw that thing away. Nobody sews up their shirt anymore. We don't, we don't fix anything because we just go buy a new one. And I think that, that content, well, that's just kind of, that's the way we are with humans now. And before I get to your point, Sarah, is I think that we, 
there's a lot more. When we were at the abortion clinic the other night, um, the Catholic lady said, hey, no, notice, notice the cars that are parked out, out here. And they were just kind of, they weren't, they weren't hoopties. You know, they were, they, were, they were like, you know, one was like a Toyota, uh, nice Toyota, a couple other, you know, SUVs and stuff. Kind of looked like middle class people. Um, but this one Catholic sister that was with, lady that was with us, um, anytime a car, one car pulled up and she just kind of walked up and very kindly just, hey, um, we're here. With, I can't remember what she said with the organization or if she even said that, but she said, hey, you know, we're here. We'd love to talk to you about your choice and the options that you have and all this kind of stuff. She just very graciously approached her. And I've heard about people in this church and others um, that have been in those efforts. Melanie Rayborn, who's there all the time praying, and a few others, a young guy that was a member of the church here before he moved to another city, where he actually was there and just graciously approached a person and then directed them to Sound Choices Pregnancy Center. Um, so I, I think those type of gracious, that like in the moment compassion is not shouting people down. Maybe you're thinking that going out there is praying at the abortion clinic is, you know, it's not some hostile posture. It's gracious, humble, like you're just there to do whatever you can to offer alternatives. And they had some literature to hand to them to a crisis pregnancy center. And so I think that's what it looks like in the moment. And then when they, if we can get a person to a church or to a Sound Choices Pregnancy Center, man, the Sound Choices Pregnancy Center here is just really equipped to come alongside and love on a, a young lady, really equipped. Um, and a lot of you know about that because you're involved in that. So great question, Sarah. I, that's the best I can do. Yeah. Aaron. But, well, we got, we're recording it, so we got, we, we'll pick it up. Not that loud. Uh, I just wanted to just be an encouragement, uh, especially to young people. I really think, you know, we talk a lot about abortion clinics and being on the front lines. Yeah. And I think that's, uh, that's a noble effort, and I really respect the people that are doing that. But I think there's a, a huge amount of work that can be done, especially among young people, college age, high school age. Yeah. And I uh, just want to be an encouragement to the people um, who feel passionately about this. I grew up in a culture where you didn't talk, you know, we don't talk politics, we don't talk abortion. Yeah. Because it was just a very divided issue. And uh, I'm proud to say that myself and a lot of the people I grew up with in a very sort of northeastern liberal stronghold mm -hmm. have done a, a 180 on yeah. our, our, some, some uh, friends and myself have done a 180 on, on our uh, views on abortion. And, and I think that it's one of those issues where you just can't be a, a, a slow witness to people. It's the time to have a strong witness, yeah, yeah, and it's uh, and I think people can change. I think women who are in that situation are often conflicted, even if they don't show it outwardly. Yeah. You know, there's this. Yep. Um, they hold their position. They feel strongly. They seem to feel strongly about it. But I think there's a lot of turmoil inside, yeah. and I think taking a strong position is is really a can have a high effectiveness. Yeah. And, and I don't think people often know the kind of impact they're making when they make these strong statements. Yeah. But I, I just think that yeah. especially young people need to need to be bold when it comes yeah. to Amen. Amen. sharing their opinion yeah. sharing their, their opinions on uh, yeah. Yeah. pro life. Yeah. Amen. Aaron, that was a great point. Well stated and great point. Who knows what the Lord may do with that witness? Um, and yeah, absolutely. Great point. Anybody else? Anybody else? 
You guys are such a, a, a warm and generous and gracious group. I mean, just thank you for, you guys just, this, to, to get a group of people together from our church to even think about this issue is, I think, is just encouraging. And I want us to be strangely encouraged and convicted all at the same time, right? And I think what Aaron just said, I mean, the only thing I would say is not just young people, all of us, right? All of us. I mean, that was just excellent. That, that is a wonderful sort of benediction that let's, let's do this. If you, I mean, as I've been praying this week, thinking about this, I've been thinking about people uh, that maybe have been involved in an abortion in the past. I want you to be encouraged and loved on and cared for. For people that are, you know, just maybe passive and consumed with just, just the silliness of life. I want us to, I want, I want, I want just the ammonia and the smelling salt to be popped underneath our nostrils so that we'll wake up. And um, may God, may God put steel in our spines and tears in our eyes uh, for, for very, 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 very young humans who are image bearers of God. And um, may this little, tiny little church be a witness for life um, in our city. Lord, thank you for your kindness to us in Christ. Lord, I pray for your grace to uh, men and women in this room who have walked through this in their past. I pray that Romans 5, at the end of the chapter there, would, would just be a, a, a balm to their soul that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And Lord, I pray for uh, Christians in this room who have been a bit casual or indifferent to this issue, that you would stir us, that you would engage us, and that we would think about just one or two ways in our life where we can begin to, as Aaron has, uh, has exhorted us, to be bold and to... Uh, to, to just stare in the face of a culture, an insane, illogical culture of death and be a voice for image bearers of God in the womb in our culture. Lord, would you do that in us and would we, none of us, leave this room without resolving to somehow get in the fight in some way, to engage in some way for the sake of unborn image bearers of God. Lord, bless us now as we go through the rest of our week, and we pray that you'd bring us back into your house on Sunday so that we can gather and be encouraged and worship you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Next week, folks, we'll get into uh, the Christian and racial relations, another hugely important topic in our, in our culture. So we'll see you next Wednesday, Lord willing.